Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Trusted CI webinar for March 23rd, 2020. I'm your host, Jeanette Dopheide. Trusted CI is the NSF Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, and these webinars are part of its mission to deliver high-quality, actionable guidance regarding cybersecurity to the NSF community. More information about Trusted CI can be found at trustedci.org. Today's topic is one-time URB with Prasad Kallium. Uh, One-Time URB is a multi-cloud broker framework for creation of secure and high-performance science gateways. Prasad is an associate professor in the Department of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at the University of Missouri-Columbia. Before we begin, I have a few things to note. First, this presentation is being recorded. Second, participants are welcome to ask questions during the session using the chat box, and uh, you can find the chat box in the Zoom application, click on chat, start typing your question there. And uh, we will leave time at the end of the presentation for questions as well. And with that, I will hand the presentation over to Prasad. Prasad, welcome. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm excited today uh, to talk to you about uh, this project uh, we've been working on for the last couple of years. Um, and the beginnings of this project uh, have been uh, over the last three, four years. Uh, and uh, hopefully all of you can see my slides. Uh, yep, I so can see your slides, look good. That's great. Uh, so the project uh, uh, you know, that I'm gonna to present today is actually a, a, a nice team project between a very uh, you know, multidisciplinary group uh, with Trupti Joshi, uh, who does uh, bioinformatics, uh, Isa, uh, who does uh, usability. Um, she's from the School of Education. Uh, Saptarshi, who was my postdoc, now is a, a tenure track professor at uh, Hunter College in CUNY, uh, and uh, Tim Middlecoop, who's uh, director of research computing at the University of Missouri. So this is a very uh, interdisciplinary project with both an academic side and an applied practice side, uh, really looking at how we can build uh, science gateways that are high performance and secure. Uh, and we have a number of graduate students. Some of them are on this uh, webinar. Um, Ashish, Samaikya, Kanupriya, Min, Somya, Ramya, Mauro, and May. So all of them have contributed to what I've uh, prepared to talk today. And uh, my talk really comes from the fact that uh, we have you know, data intensive applications today that really are looking for on-demand resources everywhere, right? So a local campus uh, HPC center, like in the past, is not sufficient to really service all the needs of scientists uh, today. Uh, and we are looking for remote instruments, uh, you know, collaborators at different, uh, you know, remote universities or labs. Uh, and we're using, uh, you know, community clouds, public clouds. We're setting up our own clouds to federate with these other remote resources. And uh, we have these uh, programmable technologies that make it all possible, right? We can do uh, very uh, virtualized resources at very large scale uh, and almost make these collaborations seamless. And the way we are designing these applications uh, has also evolved. So in the past, when we were building these kind of applications, uh, uh, you know, in the classic computing paradigm, we would build a system uh, make it work, we would say how many people would need the system, how many times will they use it, when will they use it, and by the way, let's add some security. Uh, and today, we are more worried about security, uh, you know, even before we put a system in production. So we are always worried about who can do what. 
uh, right uh, even today's webinar Jeanette was saying you know in zoom there is a setting where if we didn't properly configure a setting somebody could uh, take over the screen of the presenter so before we do anything live today uh, or in production we are worrying about security uh, much more than we have uh, and in the cloud era you know security uh, vulnerabilities can be amplified uh, and so we have to be very careful how we design systems uh, from both the security standpoint as well as performance standpoint so the design has to really look at both these aspects very closely and that's kind of what motivates our project is how do we look at um, you know these systems from both a technical standpoint of view as well as a, a social standpoint of view or a usability standpoint of view and a performance standpoint of view uh, while also taking into consideration all the security requirements so uh, this is a kind of a funny cartoon where you know there's always this argument uh, which is more important security or usability um, in a perfect world you know uh, <laughs> we want it to be both balanced Right, uh, and we don't want these sort of ridiculous things of uh, going through security loopholes where the performance is, uh, you know, almost uh, rendered useless. So we want to really bring security and performance uh, in a co-design manner that uh, then helps us build these uh, federated distributed applications that we are all using today. So with that, uh, I'll sort of give you the outline of my talk. Uh, so my uh, research talk today I will give is motivated by some application use cases or science gateways. Uh, one is a bioinformatics uh, uh, you know, workflow application uh, called KB Commons. Uh, another one um, is the health information sharing science gateway. We call it the honest broker applications. So I'll talk about that. Uh, so I'll give you these motivations that uh, will lead us to kind of understand where these frictions between security and performance are how resource policies of different uh, you know, providers uh, you know, need to be aligned with the requirements of users who have you know, very different performance, security, usability requirements. Uh, and in the solution, we'll kind of talk about uh, how we are dealing with these problems for these applications in a general way, um, how we think about uh, brokering as a solution uh, to deal with these uh, uh, you know, security performance requirements and how we can formalize these requirements, align them with uh, the policies of uh, providers uh, who have very heterogeneous policies across different domains uh, and really optimize and allocate resources to these science gateway applications. Um, and in the last part, I'll give you some sample experiments we have done, some findings uh, for both these applications uh, where we show that you know, this multi-cloud brokering, if done well, uh, has uh, you know, cost performance and other security benefits. So uh, for the first part of my talk, uh, I want to motivate these use cases uh, that really give us the multi-cloud needs uh, that require brokering. And uh, the way we look at this problem is, um, you know, most of the applications today, uh, as I said, we are looking for use of federated resources and we all have a life cycle of how our application uh, progresses as we do processing collecting data sharing uh, and as you can see from this picture 
the steps really go through multiple domains. So you might go to a microscope and get some uh, image data. You might process it on your local HPC cluster uh, or take it to a, a remote cyber infrastructure like Cybers. Uh, and you would do a lot of analysis and then you would probably want to archive or share or provide web access to those kind of process data. So uh, you're going to be using a number of different uh, resource providers at each uh, stage of your data life cycle. Uh, and as you're processing this data, you have different uh, you know, concerns about security. Um, you know, is my data going to be overwritten? Are my licenses going to be abused? Uh, will I lose access to my data because somebody said, you know, after 60 days, you don't keep your data anymore? Uh, so there's a lot of these concerns of, uh, you know, availability, confidentiality, integrity that uh, we worry about as the data leaves our. Uh, you know, boundary of where we control our domain, right? Uh, and for that reason, we know that, you know, universities are very much discouraging people to really go use uh, external resources. Obviously, there's intellectual property issues, but also the fact that uh, we can't control once the data leaves our domain, where we understand the policies or we have people really uh, helping us uh, operate those. Uh, we get into the areas where we are not sure what's going on. Um, and so our division of IT, for example, has uh, put out this policy, you know, make sure you don't really go out or put the, you know, your information on Dropbox or whatever, right? use the box that's approved and uh, used by the university uh, IT groups and supported by the IT groups. Um, so there are all these sort of security concerns uh, when you're trying to go outside your domain where you can control the security and performance. But in reality, we want to be able to go outside because that's how our applications are evolving. And one of the exemplar applications is uh, the KB Commons Science Gateway. Um, it started from a project called SoyKB um, on cybers and uses uh, Open Science Grid and it's been featured in Open Science Grid as one of the exemplar applications for how uh, you know, bioinformatics can be done using these scientific workflows and science gateways. And uh, you know, it has uh, been used and uh, developed today so that you can see there are several workflows uh, that are in the tab. I can uh, see in the uh, uh, screenshot here, uh, RNA-seq alignment. So there are many, many more workflows today that helps uh, you know, non-experts who are bioinformatics people, non-experts in computation to basically easily uh, select a workflow uh, you know, pick a resource uh, outside uh, their domain, uh, set up the uh, processing uh, that could involve data transfers and, uh, you know, execution of large uh, sort of data sets on computational resources. So uh, here is uh, kind of a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, architectural setup of the application. Uh, the data is, uh, you know, from the left side, you can see, um, you know, input uh, into a pre-processing step and then there's a lot of data transfer that happens uh, where we go to cybers or uh, Amazon or other kind of uh, multi-cloud resource providers. Uh, and then the processing is done uh, using Pegasus and other uh, sort of uh, toolkits uh, that can provide us high throughput computing at a very large scale. And the process data is put into these uh, portals where 
uh, people are able to access these data sets through uh, whatever uh, you know devices they are using uh, and it could involve uh, data transfers uh, and processing of a lot of data that takes a lot of uh, you know, time to execute on these distributed resources and as this processing is happening, and this is a very important uh, area uh, in the bioinformatics field of, uh, you know, genomic data processing, you know, obviously there are fears of how this data itself uh, can be used uh, for identification discrimination of uh, individuals who have these, uh, you know, stereotyped uh, genetic information medically. Uh, also, there is worry that, you know, we want to preserve the privacy across the whole life cycle of data processing uh, and uh, how do we do that is a concern and as we use multiple cloud uh, providers uh, we want to make sure that there is synergistic uh, you know policies so that we can actually uh, assume what the workflow is supposed to do uh, and how it's secure and also the providers are providing the necessary capabilities uh, for our assurance right um, so obviously there are concerns and uh, providers have uh, their own uh, ways of doing things, right? So they have different capabilities. And here's just an example uh, we're showing, uh, you know, if you wanted to run a workflow and you're trying to pick between different cloud providers, uh, you know, they all have a, a different set of capabilities they provide. Uh, so if you're trying to FISMA related compliant uh, workflows, um, you shouldn't be using Google, right? But uh, if you are using something with HIPAA, you could use Amazon, Azure, and Google, uh, all of them are compliant. So if you're running it through multiple providers, um, you have some sort of a check that uh, you're going to have this security you're assuming on the provider side. And uh, in a realistic sense, uh, you know, the problem is much more complex, right? So uh, we obviously want uh, these functional criteria from the providers, right? We want some storage network. Uh, computing, GPU, uh, some kind of software stacks. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, the users are really looking to optimize what we call as Q specs, the quality specs. Um, they want high security, they want high performance, they want to have high agility that they can manage uh, their uh, you know, applications much more uh, easily uh, through automation. And obviously at the end of the day, they are worried about cost. Uh, and they're trying to optimize, uh, you know, their functional criteria with a lot of these non-functional criteria, uh, and the list kind of gets more complicated, right? As we add security, performance, agility, and cost, each provider has different capabilities. Uh, users have different preferences, and so it becomes really a, a very difficult, overwhelming problem uh, when we are asked to do security and performance and pick amongst different providers. Uh, and have the right configured resources, have the right security issues dealt across the different uh, cross-domain lifecycle collaborations. So um, with that, I think hopefully you've been uh, uh, given enough information that you know uh, multi-cloud brokering is sort of a little difficult problem if you're a bioinformatics uh, application user. Uh, we'll sh show you another application. Uh, this is a, a more healthcare data sharing application. It's a science gateway called as the honest broker application. Uh, in this case, uh, the problem is not finding uh, computation resources outside your domain, but here you're trying to find data sources outside your domain. You're trying to bring data uh, and then do computation. 
And uh, I was talking to a cardiologist a couple of days back with the coronavirus uh, you know, pandemic we have. A lot of people are wanting access to a lot of data sets. Uh, and it's very difficult to get these data sets. These data sets are actually public in some sense, but they're protected. Uh, and the cardiologist was saying that we contribute to this database. And when we want data from the database, we're having trouble getting data. Uh, and kind of the reason is that the protected data uh, you know, uh, requires a lot of uh, auditability assurance and IRB and the provider really has to have a governance on what's happening when they share their data. So it's not so easy as, you know, I'm giving you data, give me back a lot of data, right? Uh, there's a, a whole uh, overhead to giving the data. And if the problem people are posing with the data is not exciting enough, they'll say, well, we don't want to deal with that overhead. So for example, the cardiologist said, you know, he had to fill out a form, tell uh, what he wanted to do with the data related to coronavirus uh, sort of a, you know, a pandemic issue. And uh, they basically said, well, we have already somebody looking at it. So, you know, unless you have a newer problem, uh, you know, don't come asking us for data. So, uh, so these are the other kind of systems where we're looking at science gateways where uh, we want to get data from multiple sources. Uh, and each of those sources have, again, policies of how the data should be shared or used. Uh, and what transactions can happen on the data. And usually it requires some kind of a committee review uh, that look for all the compliance on IRB and HIPAA. And then there's a lot of data that needs to be given back to the user uh, so that they can do all these analyze uh, and visualize tasks. Um, and so uh, you can do very interesting things. I talked about this coronavirus as a use case. Uh, you know, we actually worked with uh, a person who does a lot of ophthalmology research, uh, who wanted to study these databases for understanding age-related cataract diseases uh, from a large database called Cerner Health Facts that we have at the uh, University of Missouri that uh, holds about 60 million patient records and billions of transactions of patient and doctor interactions. So in such a kind of application, uh, as I said, the uh, security issues uh, or privacy issues are uh, you know, going to be very different. Um, and the uh, problem here is essentially uh, the loss of value and loss of opportunity. What I mean by that is uh, people who are sharing the data are worried about uh, you know, trusting the people who use the data. So if I give you data, you make a copy, uh, Cerner says, you know, our value of data went down by 50%, right? So you made a copy of the sold to two people. If you put up all these barriers to get the data, uh, you know, if I give you the data six months after you asked for it, uh, that's a loss of opportunity. The data is no more as valuable as when it was actually originally asked. So when you have this slow accessibility, uh, you again have a loss of opportunity. Uh, and uh, that's kind of what's happening today. So if you are asking for protected data, uh, a lot of these systems have uh, a lot of processes. In fact, it's very hard to know what exactly the user asked when he asked for the data. And by the time the data is given to the user, uh, sometimes this manual process take a long time. Uh, and again, how can we uh, you know, broker these data sources and make it more faster and secure is another kind of problem. Uh, that basically is solved by this idea of an honest broker uh, that today is completely done by manual processes. And as I said, uh, with this ophthalmology use case, 
you know, it would take you know 24 minutes to run a very basic program on this database. Uh, if you wanted to run more complex uh, programs, it would take three, four days, and you know, you know, just even in the beginning to get the data, it takes several months. Uh, because there's all these data sharing, negotiation, compliance, and uh, you know governance issues that are part of it. So uh, the other last motivation for how we uh, uh, you know really start looking at our research problems are that you know the policies that people have uh, for both the data side computation side uh, are again done by committee, right? So people sit down and decide we'll call this restricted, we'll call this internal, we'll call this sensitive and they come up with pages and pages of guidelines and what we have seen is you know the university of missouri has a five page uh, security guideline ohio state has 150 pages uh, and they use all these different words that could mean the same or could be different uh, and uh, it's up to the users to really understand what they are saying and work with the providers so uh, again that's a sort of an overwhelming problem uh, when you're trying to understand the policies of different providers and their interpretation of policies that is usually done by a committee. So uh, with that, I hope uh, I uh, you know, gave you a good sense of the types of problems we're looking at or the issues that are underlying the science gateways when you're trying to access federated computational resources or uh, federated data sources uh, that you need to you know, do your science. Uh, and the way we want to think about as a solution framework is uh, this intelligent brokering where we want to understand what are the requirements of security and performance and we want to really align them uh, through a sort of a formalized set of policies and requirements uh, so we can actually uh, provide the resources and optimize them. And so uh, here is a uh, graphic that uh, kind of uh, summarizes how we want to think about this problem. Uh, we think of it as an inter-conflict problem. So uh, I talked about Q-specs, which is what the users are asking for. Mostly they are non-functional requirements. And uh, there are you know, resource policies that uh, you know, providers have, uh, depending on what uh, you know, resources they're providing, uh, data or licenses or computation. Uh, and then there are basically these aspects uh, that we you know, want to consider from a user perspective. So the user has some security specifications and we're wanting to uh, align them with the policies of the providers. And as we are aligning them, we want to make sure that the performance is not being affected. Uh, in reality, uh, they all actually are uh, working against each other. So uh, you know, there's a friction uh, when we uh, specify these requirements and we look at the policies, uh, they don't always easily align. Uh, and uh, the problem is really how do we automate this, right? So how do we make this uh, more seamless uh, and how do we resolve these conflicts in a way that we can synergize the design of the system? So um, that's the uh, premise for our on-time URB, which is the brokering middle way we've been working on. Uh, and uh, we want to be able to have this be a middleware that can help you know, any general problem. Uh, and in a general sense, uh, you know, we are looking at these four steps uh, that we would uh, do. So we need to be uh, 
you know, really smart in collecting the requirements of security and performance. So what the users say uh, needs to be understood uh, in a very uh, you know, clear way so we can actually then uh, map it to the resource policies. Uh, and really we have to understand how resource policies are specified. And as I said, it's done by committee and it's pretty hard to really know what people are saying. So we need some way of having a standard to really uh, check against right in terms of uh, how the policies are giving certain different compliance uh, requirements uh, and then we have to come up with ways in which we can make this uh, more synergistic how we align the performance and security requirements of the users to the capabilities policies of the providers and at the end of the day we want to provide these resources uh, to non-experts so people who don't really are uh, you know fully uh, knowledgeable in workflows and co distributed computing and dealing with all this complexity of the cloud. Um, you know, we want to make it easy for them to ask and get resources and we want to optimize it for all the things they want to optimize for all the non-functional requirements. So in that sense, uh, we did this work, uh, you know, about three years back, uh, which was the beginning and we we're kind of building on this uh, concept. Uh, uh, you can see it's a, a numbered sequence diagram of steps. Um, so we uh, have an interface at the beginning that's collecting the requirements uh, and it's uh, formalizing those requirements uh, as you know, S specs, Q specs, R specs uh, from the provider policy as well as the user requirements. And then we do this sort of a, uh, alignment uh, and resource allocation optimization. Uh, which then uh, goes to the allocation part of deploying these resources uh, and monitoring those resources uh, and providing users with uh, an ability to um, you know, basically see if their performance security requirements are being met. So it has a, a lot of components to the solution, a lot of different interfaces, uh, which is why we have the usability researcher uh, who's uh, ESA's uh, team that's working with us to help us understand how do we uh, you know, do each of these steps, right? How do we make it easy for the user to express the requirements? Uh, how do we understand what uh, motivates resource providers to put these policies up that <clears throat> maybe are alignable sometimes and maybe not sometimes? Uh, and how uh, do these interfaces that you know, provide visibility to this uh, workflow system, right? With uh, the alignment, uh, how can we design those for the users to know and maybe even change their preferences or non-functional requirement needs uh, to optimize the system. So uh, there's a lot of uh, social and technical aspects that are involved in the system. And uh, I'm just giving you a few examples. I won't go into much details, but uh, the way we want to look at uh, how we collect the uh, the requirements, right? So what are the R specs uh, and Q specs uh, from a user perspective? Uh, we want to think about users as uh, obviously who are you know, knowledgeable to give us some functional requirements, but we also want to understand uh, their non-functional requirements as well. So we have a questionnaire method that, uh, you know, is going to be different if you're an expert or a novice. So um, how do we know somebody is an expert or novice? Again, we've been working on many ways. You know, we can ask the user or uh, based on the answers they're giving us, we can guess. And we have sort of a chatbot or actually can even do a, a conversation dialogue to profile users. So we've done different kinds of experiments, but the idea is to have a knowledge interface system so we can uh, understand the user preferences and know is it from an expert or a 
uh, Novice user. And uh, here's a similar uh, kind of interface uh, for collecting the requirements for the Honest Broker application. Uh, you know, it's a, a set of questions. Uh, you know, some are obvious. Uh, some could be a little bit more uh, probing of understanding what the user is saying. And the next step, we want to formalize the security requirements. So, as I said, uh, you know, everybody has the, you know policy by committee kind of a way. Nobody really sits down and says, "Here are the list guidelines of how we really need to define it." And uh, you know, that's not the way people do it. Uh, but uh, ideally, that should, that would be a great way if everybody standardized how they made their policies. Uh, but in our uh, scenario, we are trying to bridge that gap, so we are able to. Uh, look at a given set of requirements, uh, break it down into data requirements, auxiliary requirements, uh, and really map them to uh, these 18 security categories that this guidelines provide. And we can basically then say uh, a given requirement falls under say high, moderate, or low uh, in terms of uh, the security requirements. And so we have a security specs uh, kind of on the left side here and all the requirements are uh, shown on the right side from the NIST guidelines. And the next step is, so we are able to then break down uh, into the data and auxiliary requirements. Uh, then we can actually start uh, doing this sort of more formal way of uh, aligning the requirements. So we have done a few different iterations of this using Portunes algebra, uh, some sort of natural language processing that's involved in interpreting the policy then uh, an example is given here. So if it's a health facts database uh, to access uh, data, uh, you know, a policy uh, for compliance with HIPAA might have a requirement. Uh, and then we might say, you know, if that request then is a sensitive request or is it a you know, more low risk uh, request that can be, uh, you know, provided, uh, you know, data uh, access uh, you know, very easily without much manual governance. So you can do all these sort of uh, checks and compliance based on those requirements. And ultimately we can put them into some sort of a mapping, right, uh, of how the uh, you know, resources are compatible or not compatible. Uh, so here uh, we're showing uh, sort of a multi-cloud scenario. There are different cloud providers. Uh, once we have gone through this uh, alignment process, uh, we can come up with a, sort of an interoperability matrix that says, you know, these uh, CSPs are actually uh, okay uh, for uh, this workflow and, uh, you know, they are all compliant. And so the user can pick, uh, you know, any of these, uh, one of these uh, options of uh, providers. And that's really looking for uh, optimizing non-functional requirements. So they're interested in cost, they're interested in security, they're interested in agility, they're interested in performance, uh, and not all of those can be satisfied. So our goal is uh, once we have this uh, uh, alignment and we understand interoperability, uh, we are able to provide users with choices. Right. We are able to give them a red option, green option, gold option. So the red option is, you know, it's going to be your cheapest option. Um, you know, you have to do security all by yourself, right? Uh, the green option is we'll do everything for you. It's going to be very pricey. Uh, the gold option is somewhere in the middle, right? It has the uh, balance between the red option and the green option. So we want to be able to, again, as we do the provisioning and optimization, we want to have the ability to uh, have the users choose 
uh, what uh, you know profile of security or performance or cost or agility uh, would be uh, you know satisfiable right what 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 makes them happy and uh, we could then incorporate uh, those uh, you know, into the interfaces. So here is the interface Ashish developed for the KB Commons uh, for a given workflow. Uh, and then they can basically automate their workflow after that. And for the honest broker side, like I said, uh, the same idea that once we have uh, understood how the requirements match with the different policies, uh, what we want to here enable is for the data provider or the data custodian to have the ability to say uh, is this a low risk uh, request is this a high risk request uh, and uh, you know how do we essentially optimize this what we call it the efficient frontier right so how do we uh, give this data uh, access um, if we think you know there's low risk or if, how do we add more steps to the uh, data access if we think it's high risk uh, and we kind of uh, use this idea of investing in a diverse security strategy so we want to basically have a combination so if we think encrypting and notifying the data owner uh, is as uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know beneficial as uh, actually having manual request uh, we might automate that process right or we might just give timed access to the data or we might uh, give access to the data notify the administrator so it could be all of these different uh, actions we can take uh, to make sure that uh, you know the loss of opportunity loss of value is balanced um, so this is another way we can make a decision based on the alignment is let the data custodian decide uh, what sort of risk uh, this request has and what steps need to be taken to provide access. So uh, in the last part, I'll give you uh, a few uh, sort of experiments we have done and some findings and uh, you can have some question answers. Uh, and I'll give you these experiments for both these sort of use cases that I mentioned in the beginning uh, for the bioinformatics uh, workflow science gateway application also the data sharing uh, application. So our implementation uh, of our on-time URB middleware, uh, as I said, looks like this, uh, and you can see it all coming together. So on the left, we have the KIS, uh, we have our uh, that has optimizer, that has all these uh, ways to interpret user requirements as well as policies of providers uh, that then spits out these templates or these options for the users uh, to choose from uh, for uh, them to optimize their non-functional requirements. And once the user makes a, a decision on a template, we're able to deploy it on the available federated resources, uh, provide the monitoring interfaces, provide the uh, necessary usable uh, uh, you know, science gateway portals, uh, and the researcher is able to, you know, monitor, instantiate, and work with the workflow. And we have actually been applying this middle affair for a, a number of workflows uh, in KB Commons. Um, so if this numbering is sort of messed up, but <laughs> there are about six workflows uh, that uh, we have implemented, uh, and uh, uh, the workflows. Um, have you know some sort of a, a dependency as you can see using one workflow uh, to lead on to the other workflow and so these can be pretty complicated from a simple workflow to a, a very complicated workflow and a number of uh, you know software 
resources, cloud resources, licenses are involved uh, to do the processing. <clears throat> so we have uh, you know, tools to create the workflow pipeline to schedule those resources, to have remote access to those, uh, and we're using Cyber's uh, kind of uh, APIs, uh, and you know, for IROD, and we have our optimizers uh, also on the system, and the kind of uh, sequences as follows. Right? We have this, uh, so for, uh, for example, uh, RNA seq workflow. We're able to split it into uh, you know different sizes that fits into a Pegasus workflow management system. Uh, then we're able to submit it to the HD Condor submit host, uh, which then uh, is the step where we do the middleware optimization. Uh, and then we're able to deploy uh, uh, the optimized template uh, on distributed resources. And one of the experiments we did uh, was, uh, again, looking at policies from ISI, TAC, and MU. And for a given uh, workflow for bioinformatics, we were trying to understand, uh, you know, where to go to compute, right? Uh, which is the best place for having the benefits of both security and uh, performance and which resource would be ideal for the user. Um, and so we did uh, uh, this uh, um, analysis and we found, you know, MU would be the best choice uh, if you're as a user looking for, uh, you know, performance as non-functional um, you know, requirement to optimize. And if you were concerned about uh, security a lot, then TAC would be ideal. And you know, in the some of the gold option where you want a you know, good trade-off between both, ISI would have been the next best option, actually the preferred option. So uh, we were able to look at uh, actual policies from providers, look at a given set of requirements that have you know a lot of data transfer and long execution processing, and we were able to say, well, if you really want to have a provisioning that's Q specs driven, go to MU, uh, S specs driven go to TAC, um, but if you really wanted this giant Q-Specs uh, allocation, uh, you should be picking ISI to do your processing. So uh, it's a very difficult way to do it manually. Um, and our hope is through on-time URB, uh, these kind of difficult decisions can be automated, made easier, and users have much more uh, control on knowing where to go and what sort of uh, uh, experience they will get based on which clouds they pick for processing. And so here is sort of the results from the experiments, as I said, uh, yeah, MU can give you better performance because you know, we can get priority, it's our own cluster. Uh, if you're in a community cloud, you kind of take a ticket and stand in a line. So the processing uh, in terms of performance might not be ideal. Uh, whereas, you know, if you have these data transfer tools, you could actually get data faster uh, on these uh, you know, larger networks where then trying to get data from your lab to some sort of a, a, a local cloud, right? If you're moving data in the cloud, it's much faster. Uh, but again, if the uh, processing uh, and security requirements are going to be different, you will get different uh, computation times and transfer times uh, as you run your workflow. And here's another experiment, uh, which is more recent experiment we ran, um, and we published this in uh, IEEE VIBM last year, uh, is we looked at uh, from a multiple cloud service provider perspective. So if we had uh, you know, three of the six that we implemented in KB Commons, and we had you know, a variety of requirements from the user, which are you know, small, medium, large scale of data and compute requirements. Uh, and we took the different the cost models of different cloud providers uh, and we basically compared uh, our way of you know, brokering 
with a sort of a KNN uh, template brokering. So uh, if you had uh, a set of requirements, if you had a knowledge base that basically had, you know, what are the right uh, you know, catalog of templates that would be ideal. And we're looking at the distances between the request, uh, you know, vector and the, uh, you know, the capabilities vector of the cloud to say, you know, which is the most uh, uh, closest distance, that's the KNN approach. Uh, and then our approach is using this uh, optimizer, um, which I talked about uh, earlier. And we are really, in this case, uh, worried about uh, cost implications of the interoperability between the CSPs. And what we found is, you know, uh, depending on how much knowledge you have, what sort of requirements you have, um, our optimizer performs better than the state-of-the-art KNN sort of a way of uh, choosing the templates. Uh, and we could, uh, you know, essentially provide these non-functional requirements uh, of security and performance at you know, a lower cost. Uh, but then if uh, the, um, you know, requirements are very strict in a security perspective, the interoperability is low, obviously the cost cannot be optimized. So uh, this is a natural phenomenon, but we were able to model this phenomenon uh, for these workflows uh, considering four uh, cloud providers. And uh, what's happening next, and Ashish and uh, Zen and others are working on, are uh, you know taking this further um, so we believe that the users know best or the users have what they think is an acceptable threshold of satisfactory workflow performance for their non-functional requirements um, you know can we capture that more uh, systematically using fuzzy logic and provide a much more uh, you know satisfactory computing experience so this is sort of uh, user quality of experience for workflows, right? So we're trying to look at uh, these uh, newer methods to select different cloud providers. So now I'll sort of give you the last set of experiments for the honest broker side. Uh, as I said, uh, you know, the problem there was we have a lot of data sources uh, and we really need to bring them uh, into a sort of a community cloud where uh, we can do the compliance checking, have this sort of trusted gateway that can bring the right kind of data and provide the access to the researchers through you know, thin clients, like you know, virtual desktops and things like that. And we have the user interfaces that helps us do all the brokering that I talked about. Um, and the goal here is uh, ultimately, uh, we want to ensure auto assurance, auto auditability, which has sort of been the barrier from the usability perspective for why people take so long to give protected data access and why even if you have access, um, processing the data uh, is very slow um, due to a lot of these uh, restrictions. Um, and so how can we make it fast and secure through this uh, honest broker service and how we do the compliance checking, how we do the risk assessment and how we provide the right decision modules for the data provider or the custodian to act on providing uh, the required access to the users. So um, here is an example uh, of how uh, we're basically doing a risk assessment, uh, given a set of uh, requirements by breaking and security and aligning them to the NIST guidelines. And we can come up with these sort of compliance scores and uh, you know, basically quantify the risk as low, medium, high, and provide it uh, to the uh, data providers to uh, make these decisions of giving access. And what 
what's going on next is where Somia and Ramya and Mauro are working is we're taking this idea of the trust issue of sharing this data to the next level. Uh, and also the issue of, as I said, uh, understanding the user requirements uh, is not a trivial process. So when it goes to a governance committee, uh, you know, if they had the requirements much more clearly specified, the time for uh, you know, actions to allow access can be shortened. So we're trying to have a chatbot interface um, for the workspace where the consumers of the data are, uh, who are requesting the data are able to interact with. Um, and also we're able to do uh, a lot of uh, you know trust backend work with you know, potentially with blockchain solution we're calling it the honest chain uh, where we're able to take this uh, you know dialogue uh, and then do the alignment uh, uh, with uh, you know the compliance requirements from the provider side and then as there's a lot of data to be brought from multiple sources uh, create a, a common data model um, that uh, you know gets the data faster, right? It can load the data, you do the ETL process faster, and uh, the risk assessment can check all these uh, HIPAA IRB parameters. And uh, you know uh, the latest version of this testbed is being done with uh, the Cerner Healthy Data Lab, which has sort of Jupyter frontends and Spark backends. So uh, we're hoping that this uh, system will really greatly improve. The brokering of the data uh, in the healthcare side. So, in conclusion, um, you know, what I hopefully have conveyed to you is that uh, you know there is a way we can try to look at formalizing uh, security specifications from applications, uh, also understanding resource policies, resource requirements from users, and uh, trying to understand how we can map them for these uh, science gateway applications that require workflows and federated resources. And uh, really we can do this sort of uh, efficient uh, alignment of uh, both performance and security. It can give you benefits in cost and performance and security like I showed you. Uh, and it's ultimately giving the users the choice uh, uh, to deal with uh, whatever non-functional requirements they want to optimize for and basically the broker should make it easy uh, if it's a novice user or an expert user um, to basically use these multi-cloud resources uh, in their applications and augment their current techniques. We don't want to replace their systems, but we want to augment their current systems with our broker. And uh, so uh, a nice way to conclude, we're overwhelmed with the choice today of cloud providers and we have you know, complex problems, science problems to solve uh, and we don't have time to figure out all the security performance requirements and you know, manually do these things. And so uh, if we can build effective uh, multi-cloud resource brokers, uh, we can help users uh, uh, you know, overcome this overwhelming problem of uh, cloud provider diversity. So with that, I uh, conclude my slides and if I have any if people have questions, I'm happy to answer. Great, thank you very much. I totally agree with, uh, with your conclusion. There are so many options out there. Um, so while uh, people are typing in questions, I'm just gonna grab the screen back and go over a couple of news announcements um, regarding uh, Trusted CI. Uh, first, uh, please take our survey. Uh, let me just throw this up in the chat real quick so that you can click on the link. Um, and 
Um, we collect uh, these surveys so that we could get your feedback, but also we appreciate um, suggestions of topics or recommended presenters. So please let us know um, how we did. And then um, next, uh, we are doing, um, I pardon the typo here. We're doing a, uh, we're doing a town hall tomorrow, actually. Uh, this is a short notice meeting and I have sent a blog post about it, but I'll probably send a reminder to the announcements list. Uh, this call that we're hosting will be related to COVID-19 and its impact on securing open science. So Trusted CI is in the process of putting out some information, um, trying to assist the community, but we wanted to offer another way to uh, host an open question and answer session. So this is gonna be slightly different from a webinar instead of us delivering the content to you and you in the audience absorbing it, this is going to be an open conversation. So if you would like to join this meeting uh, tomorrow, you could go to trustedci.org uh, slash office dash hours. Uh, uh, but I also am sending a reminder about the town hall um, uh, later today. Um, our, we are still accepting engagements. Our engagement application window is open. It's closing on April 3rd. So you've got uh, a week, two weeks uh, to, to uh, submit your applications. And so if you're interested in submitting an application, please go to trustedci.org application. And then I've been maintaining this slide. Um, we have some conference updates because of the COVID-19 um, pandemic. For example, the IEEE World Forum on IoT in April in New Orleans has been postponed until 2021. So if you're attending that, please be on the lookout for updates. EduCause is uh, also in April uh, at, in uh, Washington is being postponed and it's moving online. So it's not completely canceled, but uh, they need some time to figure out how to present it online. Uh, the GPN, the Great Plains Network annual meeting so far uh, is still on the schedule. So uh, please monitor that closely if you're going to be attending. Um, PERC also is aware of, of the situation. PERC is in July in Portland, Oregon. Um, there are no major updates related to PERC as of Friday. So uh, please be on the lookout for that as well. And then uh, we have the Trusted CI Summit in September. Um, no, no updates yet. So um, assuming things go well, uh, we will be resuming our meeting. And then finally, just real briefly before we get to the questions, um, the next webinar is April 27th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Our topic is Secure Data Architecture, Assured Mission Delivery Network Framework for Secure Scientific Collaboration. And our speaker is Arjun Duresi. And with that, let's go back to questions. Um, we have a comment here. Uh, Thanks for a very interesting presentation. How can I learn more about the usability aspects? Uh, should I start by reading one of the publications you cited on your slides? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we have Isa and her team who are actually doing a lot of studies. Uh, and since we are still building the system, it's actually taking longer for publishing our usability research because uh, we're trying to baseline the existing system with the uh, you know, developed system and its use. So uh, the best uh, way I would say at this point to get information from our team is to contact ESA, but we hope to actually publish uh, some of these uh, findings 
in, in the coming months. Uh, and uh, as you can tell, uh, you know, they are interested in the socio-technical aspects of this. So they are doing surveys with the providers, uh, both the computation providers and the data providers, and they're doing surveys with the users of these systems. Uh, and uh, they are using our sort of application interfaces as a way to see what challenges are for both the user sides in uh, presenting the requirements also on the provider side, uh, what motivates them to have policies that you know, in some cases are conflicting with what the users want. Um, so uh, so the, the issue of trust was in the honest broker, um, you know, the issue of uh, how do we align the policies of computational resources on the provider side on the compute side. Uh, so they're all going to have different flavors of usability challenges, and that's what they're studying. Thank you. Um, just a, a little bit of feedback. Uh, someone noticed that the, uh, the survey initially wasn't res accepting responses, and uh, Jim uh, updated that setting. And so if you uh, attempted to re respond to the survey, you, you can do that now. I apologize uh, for the confusion. Also, it looks like the GPN annual meeting is going to be um, canceled and uh, moving online. So uh, be on the lookout for updates regarding that. Um, with those other updates, uh, oh, looks like we have another follow-up question here. For science gateways that are interested in adopting one-time URB, is now a good time to try or will you be accepting early adopters in the future? Yeah, that's a great point. So actually we want to release the software this summer uh, in a way that's uh, uh, you know, generally usable uh, with some examples like I showed you uh, so people can uh, look into it. Uh, uh, since it's been sort of uh, uh, little fundamental research, not all of the pieces uh, work as seamlessly or you know, they're all uh, configurable uh, easily. So. Uh, we're trying to come up with a software, uh, you know, uh, release plan uh, for the summer. Um, but definitely, we will have something out in summer that people can try. And uh, uh, at least, if you're doing something related to uh, a bioinformatics workflow or a health data sharing workflow, uh, you'll have lots of uh, hopefully, uh, you know, middleware uh, APIs that uh, you can experiment with. Great, thank you. Um, last call for questions. Um, and a reminder, um, again, we are doing a COVID-19 town hall meeting tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, I will be sending a reminder announcement to our announcements mailing list, but we also have a link to it on our homepage uh, under events. So if you're interested in joining that meeting, please uh, look up the event details. And I think, I think that's the last call for questions and we will uh, wrap things up here. So I wanted to thank everyone for attending this presentation and thank you very much Prasad for working with us um, under these difficult circumstances to, uh, to give us a very helpful and informative presentation. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Great. Um, oh, and people are saying thank you. So, so they appreciate you too. Okay, great. So uh, everyone, I'm going to uh, stop recording and then I will end the meeting. Uh, but thank you all for joining us and stay safe out there. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.